Welcome. My name is Dr. Jonathan Vorse, and thank you for downloading our podcast today on Working the Word. Make sure you hit that subscribe button to receive new podcasts every week. Thank you for your support at jvorse.org and enjoy the message today. Chronicles chapter 12 verse 32 says this, And of the children of Issachar, which were men that had understanding of the times. Did you get that? Men that had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. Somebody say, men that had understanding of the times. Of the times. The Bible says, to know what Israel ought to do, the heads of them were 200 and all their brethren were at their commandment. I want to talk to you today about winning the lost of this generation. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege and the honor of being able to stand here and convey this message today. I pray that you would touch me, flow through me, help me to speak words that's pleasing to you. Help me to get this point across. May it be received in the spirit in which it is intended knowing that the heart of God is winning lost people to you. We give you praise for it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. 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 Now, I chose this passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 32 as a springboard Scripture into what I want to talk to you about today simply because of that phrase there that there were actually men that had understanding of the times to show Israel what they ought to do. Now, in 1 Chronicles chapter 12, we find a list of David's mighty men. And in this list of David's mighty men, there are different ones that had different things to do. Some were valiant warriors and all of that. But when you get to verse 32, and it talks about the men of Issachar, about to, and their brethren, about 200, and their brethren, their job was to study the seasons, the days, the years, the times, the culture, the political culture, and the generational climates of their day so that Israel would know what they were supposed to do. And so I chose that scripture because it goes along with the theme of what we're trying to do over the next four or five weeks, which is we're trying to learn better how to win the lost of this generation. And in order to win the lost of this generation, we're going to have to come into an understanding of the times in which we live. We must be like the men of Issachar. If we're serious about winning the lost of this generation, we need to study the political climate that we live in, the cultural climate that we live in, and especially the generational climates of our day. The reason I have this picture up here is because it is a picture largely of what we would call millennials and generation Xers. Now there's an old guy up there in the top and you see the old guy up there in the top. It doesn't really look like he's teaching anything. Thing. It looks like he's got a problem with the computer so he's going to a younger generation to say, what do I do here? Does that sound familiar? That sounds familiar, doesn't it? That kind of sounds familiar with me sometimes too. But I chose these pictures here because I wanted us to get a good look at the generation in which we live. Did you know that the largest generation that has ever lived are the millennial generation and the generation Xers? That's everybody that's about 35 or 40 years old and under down to about 20 years old. So that 20-year span is the largest generation that has ever lived. 
there's more people in that generation than there was in the baby boomer generation, than there was in the what they call the greatest generation, than there was in my generation. There's more people in that generation than any generation that has ever lived. Unfortunately, only about 11% of them see church as relevant enough to include it in their weekly activities. About 28% of them attend church, but they don't necessarily see the value of it doing it at every, every time, uh, at every Sunday. Now, in the bottom right, there's a picture. What happens when the millennial becomes the boss of the office? You see, the difference in the generations here, I know it might not be bright enough. We had to change this, but it might not be bright enough. But you look over here, and here's a guy that's just kind of like, he looks like he's stuck in the middle of the generations. He's like, okay, this is my new boss, I guess. What am I supposed to Then you look back here in the back, and you got an old guy sitting there in the back, and he's like, I'm just going to get over here in the corner. I think this is a bunch of nonsense. And then you got somebody over here who's just not giving me attention at all. This guy right here is another one's kind of caught in the middle. But these two gals right here, they're kind of his generation. And you notice she's sitting there with her feet propped up on the chair. I mean, this is a staff meeting. And she's sitting there with her feet propped up on the chair. And this one right here, if you can see it, not, you might not be able to, but if you can see it, uh, she's actually on her phone while that millennial boss is trying to talk with everyone and cast vision. So it's a pretty good picture of the life in which we live. It's the day and age in which we live. Now, it doesn't matter if the old guy in the corner likes it or not. It doesn't matter if the middle-aged guy right here who says, well, I'll just ignore him, likes it or not. It doesn't matter if this guy that's on the fence likes it or not. doesn't matter whether they like it. This is still the boss. He's still the boss. He's the boss. He's the one, and, and, and he's a millennial. What could a millennial possibly be doing as the boss? Well, he's doing the same thing you would. He's solving problems. He's making choices. He's setting strategy for forward projections and all of that. And so we could just go on and we could just work these pictures over and that would help us explain. I think the picture's pretty much explained, but it would help us better understand what we're trying to say. The, the, the point of it is this. Whether we like it or not, it's time for this generation right here to step up and embrace the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, now, how come they're not doing it? How come they're not doing it? Here's what the Bible says. It says, Say not ye there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, Lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. It's time for this generation to hear the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's time for this generation to embrace the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's time for this generation to start living 2 Timothy chapter 2 and 2 where the Bible says we will teach others who will teach others also. So they need to be preparing to teach others. The problem is, is they really don't... You say, how come they're not living for Christ? Because they really don't know how. They don't know how to live for Christ. I mean, we're talking about understanding the times, right? We're talking about understanding the times in which we live. How come they don't understand the times? How come they don't understand how to live for Christ? How come? Because the attitude of the generation that raised them is not conducive to an attitude that could actually get knowledge into them. 
Listen to me very closely. Now, this is the hard-hitting part of this message, okay? And I love you and I want you to know that, but I'm just going to teach you and tell you the way that it is because we're not going to be able to sugarcoat this thing and win them to Jesus. At 25 years old, a lot of them have their own home, they have their own car, they have their own job, they have a wife, they have children. They're grown-ups. They're grown-ups. 25 years old, 28 years old, 30 years old. Whether we want to accept it or not, they're grown-ups. And here's the hard question that I'm asking you right now. It's simply this. How would you have reacted if your parents' generation would have treated you and viewed you the way that you treat and view this generation? Would you have revolted against them? Would you have said, well, you know, I, I, I tell you how, I'm going to be honest with you, okay? I'll tell you how I would have been. I would have rebelled. I would have said, you're going to treat me right. You're going to treat me like a grown-up. You're going to respect me for who I am. Or you don't have anything to say that I want to hear. And for some reason, we feel like that we can shame them, or not we, but you understand what I'm saying. There's people that feel like that we can shame them in to accepting the message of the gospel. Here's a question I want to ask you. Why does this generation, most of them not even know who Noah is, or, or they don't know who Gideon is and his 300 men, or they don't know the message or, or the Bible stories of the past? How, of the Old Testament. Why don't they know those Bible stories? The reason is because our generation decided that Sunday school was too much of a nuisance, so we phased it out, and now our children are grown up, and they don't even know the basic Bible stories. And so what we taught them was that the priority is not learning Scripture. The priority is not learning what the Bible says. We taught them that other things take precedence and take priority over our lives. So serving God became a matter of convenience. And so now we have a generation of young people who only 11% of them profess having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and see coming to church as something that is valuable enough to do every single Sunday. Here's my question, another question. How can this entire generation embrace something that has value if they don't even know what it is. How can they know the Word? How can they embrace the Word as something that has value? Well, I, I just told them that it has value and so they should embrace it because I told them that it has value. Well, that because I told you so thing doesn't work anymore. You know why? Because they're grown-ups. You talk to a kid like that. You tell a kid, well, it's that way because I told you so. But you don't do that to a grown-up. And when we look at a 25-year-old, a 28-year-old, a 30-year-old, and they have real questions that need real answers, and our answer is, well, because I said so, that's not an answer that they're going to accept, and rightfully so. So that's the reason that we need to ask these questions. That's the reason that we need to get real questions and have real answers. When these questions come to us, we need to be able to defend the faith of our fathers. 
The second thing that I want to talk to you about is, is uh, the marketing aspect. You go to churches today and they want to market to millennials. You know what that makes a millennial feel like? And I, and I feel like I, I have somewhat of authority. I've been studying this a long time, but all my kids are millennials. And so, you know, I mean, I talk to them about this all the time. I, I ask them questions. I, I, I do. And they know that I'm doing this. They knew I've been, they've known I've been working on this for a while. And as I've been working on it and going along, there are times when I'll set them, I'll set them down and I'll say, listen, I need to know the answer to this question. What do you all think? And I'll tell them, don't, don't be worried about hurting my feelings. I need to know what you think. Through my studies over the last few weeks, I found out that marketing to millennials makes a millennial or a Generation Xer feel dehumanized. Why would you market to me? Why don't you just include me? That's the thing. This generation that we're trying to win to Jesus is not a commodity to be marketed to. They are human beings who have a passion to understand the things of God. They have a real question. They have real questions that need real answers. Not flippant answers, not arrogant answers, not because I told you so answers. They need to know why we believe what we believe and they need to know why that we stand on the faith that we stand upon. So uh, I, I think part of our problem in reaching them is that we have be, is because we fail to understand that we are living through the largest communication shift in 500 years. Did you hear me? We're living through the largest communication shift in 500 years. Somebody asked me, they said, how come we're not reaching a lot of them? And that's really, uh, I mean, I've listened to a lot of different things and talked to a lot of people and had a lot of conversations with some of them with successful pastors that are about my age that's reaching the generation. I've sat down, I've talked with them, I've asked them questions and things like that. And, uh, and I've, I've asked them, I said... Um, uh, and how, how come we, how come, we're, what are you doing that other people aren't doing? What, what is it? And the thing, this thing keeps coming up. The, the church as a whole, the general church as a whole, is not working in the field where they're living. The largest communication shift in 500 years. If you want to get to a millennial, post something on Instagram. Put it on Facebook. Have a Snapchat account. Now, let me continue on here because part of our problem is that we, we have failure to understand. The second most visited site on the internet today by 40-year-old and, young, and younger is YouTube. Here's something that a lot of people don't know. YouTube is a search engine. Mark is on YouTube all of the time. My son, who is 24 years old, he'll be 25 years old, he had another interview today to move to a different part. He works for the county to, to, to move to a different part of the county to work in community gardens. I honestly hope he gets that. I mean, he just, he loves farming. He loves that stuff. And he called me and he was excited. He said, Dad, this interview went really well. I said, it did. He said, yeah, they asked some pretty tough questions. I said, did you have the answers? He said, I sure did. He said, you remember all of those years that everybody was laughing at me because I was sitting around and just watching stupid stuff on YouTube? 
YouTube all of the time? He said, if I wouldn't have done that, he said, I wouldn't have been able to answer these questions today, Dad. But because I had all that knowledge stored up from farming and watching all these YouTube videos and everything, he said, I was able to answer the questions and I got a good shot at having that job. Let me tell you something. 35 years old, 40 years old and under, that's where they are. They're not watching ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox News, CNN. They're not watching MSNBC. They're not watching that. They are subject specific. They're subject specific. So what they do is they go to YouTube and they type in what they're interested in and they pull up videos of what they're interested in and they'll sit there all day long and watch video after video after video off of YouTube. I'm just curious. I don't want you to raise your hands, but I want you to have something to think about here because this is the foundation message of, uh, of uh, this Real Talk series. This is the why that we're doing. You know, your why power will keep you when your willpower runs out. And so this is the why that we're doing this. You don't, I don't want you to raise your hands. I don't want anybody to be embarrassed. But I wonder how many of us in here actually have a YouTube account. There's a few of you that do. The younger folks definitely do. Did you know, and I've said this the last couple of weeks because repetition is the key to learning, and I want to get it, and I've been pointing to this moment right here to tell you this again, and hopefully it'll take. Did you know that last month there were 538,000 searches on YouTube by people that are 40 years old and younger on how do I study my Bible? 538,000 searches. That's a big harvest. That's a big field to work in. Do you know how many local churches had videos up on how to study my Bible? Zero. None. There's a few folks that have videos up on that, but a local church, a local congregation did not have. Now, you say, well, then how are they learning how to study their Bible? Here's the hard truth. Millennials are trying to teach other millennials how to study their Bible. And you know how they're doing it? They're finding clips of old guys like me. They're finding clips of Joyce Meyer. They're finding clips. I found one of Joyce Meyer. I found one of R.C. Sproul. I found one of Dr. Charles Stanley. I found one of Benny Hinn. I found some clips of some of the older ministers. They're taking these clips and they're putting them in the YouTube videos that they're making and they're playing the clip inside of the video that they're creating and they're discussing what these older folks are saying. So don't tell me they're not open to our instruction. They're reaching. The problem is, is they're reaching from a field where we're absent. Are you seeing this? So this is the reason that we need to pay more attention to understanding the times that we are in. Uh, somebody came up to me, uh, I think it was uh, about 
two or three days. I'm trying to remember who it was. But they came up to me and they were talking to me about Christian television. I'm going to be frankly honest with you. I told them this. I said, I can't remember the last time I watched Christian television. I just don't watch Christian TV. Why? Well, most of the time it's because give a thousand dollars and da 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 and all of that and then you got one person teaching a super grace, hyper grace and then the next 30 minute program it's uh, the total opposite thing and all of, uh, all of them, it's like they're fighting with one another and if a person watched enough Christian television they wouldn't get inspired, they'd get confused. And besides that, everybody and their brother got a Christian TV thing going on now. I mean, if you really go and look, I mean, you got all kinds. Of, I mean, not only do you have TBM, TBN's got like 38 different networks now. And then you've got Daystar, which is probably the best one, in my opinion, out there. And then, of course, you've got Isaac TV over in the Middle East. And, and then you have uh, the Inspiration Network. And then you have Sunlight Broadcasting Network. And now, uh, 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 what's his name, has his own. Uh, uh, Rod Parsley has his own. And you just go on down the line. Hillsong has their own channel. And... There's just all kinds of people now that's out there in that marketplace. Well, what they're doing is they're chasing the tail of a dog uh, and, that, and that dog has quit wagging that tail and that dog has moved on. If we're going to reach this generation, we're going to have to forget that Christian television stuff. That's what reached you. Praise God for that. Thankfully, someone actually had vision to do it so they could reach you. But if we're serious about reaching the next generation, we're going to have to start examining the fields where they're living. And they're living on, they're living on Instagram. They're living on Facebook. They're living on YouTube. They're living on Vimeo. They're living on Tumblr. They're living on Snapchat. They're living on social media. And so that's what we have to do. I start I started a social media account about three years ago. I think it was about three years ago. I started posting things. I haven't done very many posts at all, but I started posting things. I checked it before I came out here. We have 36,000 followers on my Instagram account. I'm not saying anything that would make you say wow backwards or spell mom upside down and say wow. Nothing like that. It's just people who are wanting to be connected. On our Facebook account for the church, we have over 33,000 followers just on the Facebook account for the church. We upload our videos. We do these things. And so that's where they are. That's where they are. And so this is what we mean by understanding the times in which we live. We, fa we have failed to understand up to this point that we are living through the largest communication shift in 500 years. Now here's the hard truth. The pulpit on Sunday morning is not the only place that you can preach the gospel. Do you hear me? All of us have a responsibility to share the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ with those around us. I challenge you today, if you don't have social media accounts, go home, they don't cost anything. Set them up, don't fall into the trap of putting your garbage and everyone else's garbage out there and don't do the little bait text like, I'm feeling horrible today. Oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. Just so people say, oh, what's wrong? Oh, what's wrong? Don't do that nonsense. All right, don't be doing that. 
But just start loading that stuff up with the word, with words of encouragement, letting people know that God loves them and God cares. Could you imagine, can you imagine the influence that the church would have if they would just chunk the junk and just get on with God's program when it came to social media? Wouldn't that be amazing? Oh my goodness. So I want to encourage you. Yeah. I want to encourage you to do that. So here's what I want you to know. The harvest is there and that's where it is. That's where the harvest is. Okay? And not only are they there, here's the thing that encourages me. They're listening. They're listening. Now they're going to ask Skeptical questions. They're going to ask tough questions. And they're not going to want flippant answers. They want the real answers. They want us to share the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ in a very real way. Well, that falls in line with what the scriptures tell us. What does the scripture say? Oh, here we go. Let's see. All right. Here we go. Uh, the gospel. Let, let me read this scripture first and then I'll get to that. Okay. Here's, here's where we are. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 through 16, it says this. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. That's what it says. Keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. There you go. Revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that's inside of you. When someone comes to us and they says, why, and they say, why do you believe that Jesus, do you really believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven? Listen, that's a very real question that a lot of lost people are asking today. Why do you believe that? You can't just say, well, because the Bible said, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. You know what the next question is going to be if you come off with that? Well, how do you know the Bible's even true? You see what I'm saying? You, the greatest defense, listen to me very, very closely here, the greatest answer, not defense, the greatest answer that you have to lost people for the faith that you hold dear is your testimony. Do you hear me? The greatest answer that you have to people who have questions about the faith that you hold dear is your testimony. Jesus' method of operation was tell a story and expound on a truth. That's what he did. He sat down and taught them saying, and then it would go into a parable that Jesus would share. A parable's a story. Jesus would tell a story. Your story, your story is your parable. Not just the story of your salvation, but the stories in your life where it looked like all hope was lost and God showed up. That's your greatest defense. That's your greatest defense. That's the greatest tool that you have. And you mix Scripture 
into your testimony because God's word won't return void. But if you just flippantly answer by just quoting a scripture, that's not going to work. They need something to relate to. And in the process of telling your story, you mix the scripture in. And as you do, there's an anointing that will come on you. And that anointing will reach out and it will grab their heartstrings and pull them to the heart of God. That's how you win lost people to Jesus. So you got to be ready to give an answer for the faith that you have. So, how do we win them? The solution is that the hope of the world is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We share that with them. We prioritize, we reprioritize our lives to make room for others who have different backgrounds than we do. Okay, now, I want to talk about this for just a little bit. I don't want to get too much too far off on this rabbit trail here, but I think it's noteworthy to talk about it for just a moment. You say, I don't know why my kids can't serve God. I did when I was their age. How many times have you ever heard that? I served God when I was their age, and now they won't serve God. And I, when I was their age, age, I was serving God. Children are products of the environment in which they were raised. Your child's background is different than yours. So you can't relate to your kids like your mama and your daddy related to you in order to get the truths of the gospel into them, you have to relate to them with their background in mind, not yours. You want a scripture for this? The Bible says, They that compare themselves among themselves are not wise. The biggest lie that's ever been told was, Well, it was good for my grandfather, and it was good for my father, and it's good for me, so it'll be good for them too. That's nonsense. First of all, your grandfather was going wow over being able to talk to someone off of something that was hanging on a wall that was attached to a cord and they could pick it up and three other people on the party line could hear him talking but he was going wow because he talked to somebody in the next state over that. If you brought your great-grandfather back from the grave and you showed him this right here, he would say, get ready, Jesus is about, coming, about to come. Are you sure that's not the mark of the beast? That's what he would say. That's what he would say. Some of you here this morning, not very many of you, but some of you here this morning remember when television started coming on the scene. That's true, Mark. Believe it. That's true, Mark. When I was in 10th grade in high school, there was a, there was a, a, a teacher that came in and my fav one of my favorite teachers was, uh, was the, my algebra teacher's name was, uh, believe it or not, it was uh, Mr. Dalrymple. We called him Mr. Dalrymple. I, I used to call him Mr. Mr. Rumpelstiltskin just to mess with him. But Mr. Dalrymple. And he, he had someone come in and we're sitting there and there's a teacher and she comes in and she says, we have a brand new class, it's an elective uh, it goes along with the typing class. I want to let you all know about it. And she told us about computers. I was in 10th grade. 
And she said, computers will one day take over the world. You heard snickers and laughs all through that classroom, and I was one of them. And she said, laugh if you want to, but I'm telling you, this is the future, so if you want to take this as an elective, you can take it as an elective, and you'll have a jump on the future. I took the class. You know what they had? How many remember the Tandy TX-1000s? The floppy disk. You had like seven different floppy disks you had to put in to get the thing, you know. Some of you guys are like, what? That's a dinosaur. That's not that much of a dinosaur. Well, maybe I'm getting to be a dinosaur. But, I mean, that was like 35 years ago, okay? That's like 35 years ago. I'm in high school, 35 years ago. And so you got these floppy disks, and you put it in there, and it goes dot, 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 And you're like, oh, my goodness. And then it goes dot, 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 And then it'll say, next disk. And so you got to put the next next disc in, and you're waiting. It's you remember that? And then you get ready to print, and you had the dot matrix printers. Remember the dot matrix printers? Right. I can take my I can take my phone right here right now. And I can find a document that's on my computer from my phone right now. I can take, find a document that's on my computer, click print, and it'll print in the office. Off of my phone. And it's not attached to anything that you can see. Understanding the times. Your children's background is different than yours. They're, it's different than yours. Here's my question. Do you love your kids? Do you want them to serve God? Would you do anything for them to help them serve God? Then why not learn their world? Why not learn their world? So over the next few weeks, we're going to take these chairs right here. And I want to thank Scott and Janet Streisick, by the way, for letting us borrow them. They look beautiful up here, I think. We can take these chairs, and we're going to put them down here during the offering every week. And we're going to set up a little seating thing, and we're going to do it as a, in a conversational way because that's how this generation understands the most. There's more connectivity when there's conversation. The first week, Mark's actually going to be asking me questions. Y'all pray for me. That's next week. Y'all pray for me. And we're going to sit here. We're going to do about four or five questions a week. And we're going to take five to ten minutes and try to answer those very real questions. Now, before you get too crazy, I know what the questions are going to be, okay? <laughs> I have studied what some of the top questions are that this generation has. And so I've been studying on a, a good way to answer those. And so, but I've, all, but I've given them the liberty. You can ask any follow-up you want. You can just keep asking follow-ups and I'll try. And then we're going to take and we're going to clip every single question. Five to ten minutes. We're going to clip every single question. We're going to put the heading on it and we're going to download it to YouTube and IG, uh, uh, IGTV, which is Instagram TV. And when this generation goes looking for the answers to some of those questions, our videos are going to be popping up to try to help them. We, listen, listen, 
We are venturing into this harvest field. You know why? Because we love them. Because we love them. And I refuse to give up on them. I'm not going to let them just go to hell because they don't talk my language. They don't, you know, oh, I need to stop. Well, I've, here, just, you know what we did last night? I'm just like, dear Lord. So Luke and Susie, they live in the parsonage. And um, so the air conditioner went out. So they're at our house until Wednesday when they get it fixed. <laughs> so last night, it's about 6.30, and they come in and they said, you want to go with us? We're going to play Pokemon Go. I said, what the heck is Pokemon Go? So you know what they did? They said, well, the church is a po pokey stop or whatever you call that, a Pokemon stop. I said, it is. And so he begins to show me how that this is a great advertising tool for the church. There's people that will search this church out just so they can battle over this church sign. Just pow, 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 pow. And then when they conquer it, then the picture of the sign comes up and there's the advertisement for the sign. I'm like, oh, cool, cool, cool. But I'm still not going to play. I'll go with you, but I'm not going to play the game. Well, Donna had already downloaded it to her phone. <laughs> so we leave my house. I've never been on a Pokemon run before. We leave our house. We're, the next thing I know, we're sitting at the fence of the Hudson Cemetery. And they're all on their phones. You got Robert, you got Susie, you got Luke, and you got Donna. And they're all like, get him, 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 get him. I'm sitting here like, and so here's what I ask them. I said, do they have Pokemon stocks, uh, uh, stops down by Starbucks? I mean, can we, can we go down to Starbucks? First of all, that's kind of cool, okay? I don't know, I still don't understand it. And so I'm talking about talking their language. So they're sitting here and they're naming all of these different things and they're having this conversation. And I looked at them and I said, you know something? And we, and yeah, there was Pokemon stops at Starbucks. We went to Starbucks. And so we're going through the drive-through thing. And so I looked at them and they're just talking and talking and talking. And they're all of this crazy stuff. And Donna's like, oh, I got this one, I got this one, I got And so they're like, uh, there's a gym, there's a gym, there's a gym. Oh, let's get this gym. There's a gym here. And so... So, I thought we were going to go to a gym. I thought it was like a stop. I thought it was like a gym, like a, like a workout gym, you know. No, it's like, I said, oh, like the jewel gym. And so they're, asked, they're, they're calling the names. Oh, you got this red whatever. I can't even, I don't even remember the names of it. Finally, I looked at them and I said, if anybody didn't know any better, they'd think y'all were just speaking in tongues. I said, it's nuts. This is what I'm talking about. This is what I'm talking about. This is their world. It's where they live. It's the things that interest them. So if we're serious about winning them to Jesus Christ, then we have to venture into things that we don't understand and things that we might not like at first. 
I just enjoyed hanging with my kids. I told them, I said, look, I said, y'all go ahead and play that. I said, it's very entertaining for me to sit here and watch you and listen to you. But frankly, I don't have time to add that to the things that I'm doing. Now, getting ready to close here. In Titus chapter 2, verses 3 through 5, the Bible says, Let the older women teach the younger women to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine, and teach that which is good. Train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God is not reviled. Now, that's the Bible. That's what the Scripture says. So as an older woman, you have a command from God to engage with younger women. They need you, and you need them. The Proverbs 31 woman is not born, she is developed. Now the men are not going to get off the hook because in verse number 2, right before verses 3 through 5, in verse number 2 and verses 6 through 8, we find, and it's like in the form of protection, the women are in the middle. We speak to the men in verse 2 and the men in verses 6 through 8. Here's what the Bible says. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love, and to be steadfast. I told him in the first service, I pretty much got all of that except the dignified part. I still have challenges with the dignified part because I'm still a kid at heart. And then Titus 2, verses 6 through 8, the Bible says that we are to urge the younger men to be self-controlled. The older men are to urge the younger men to be self-controlled. How do they do that? They model it to them. They teach them that. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about you. So as older men and older women, we have a command from God to engage with the younger generation and try to help them Grow the way that God wants them to grow. Saying to them, well, you're not going to listen to me, so forget you is not the answer. Who's the older adult here? Hmm? If I'm a leader, then I'm a problem solver. If I'm to teach younger men things pertaining to the kingdom of God. See, look at this. You've got the young man sitting there drinking his caramel macchiato. And you got the older man having his spot of tea. I mean, I think that the older man there looks like uh, Ronnie Hatcher. And it's very common to see Ronnie Hatcher with a young man like that talking to him about his faith. And you see, this, this man had to go to a place where this young man would frequent. Now, how dare he wear a t-shirt when he's going to talk to a mentor? Oh, come on, stop it. One of the questions I'm going to try to answer is, why do people always think that you have to wear a suit 
when you come to church. I'm going to give you a little look into the answer to that right now. People have said to me, well, if you were going to meet the President of the United States, you'd be in a suit. And my answer to them is my relationship to the President of the United States is a whole lot different than my relationship with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Why do we tell people to come to God as they are and then when they give their life to Christ, tell them the next time you come to church, you better be in a suit? That's stupid. There's kind of a taste of how I'm going to be answering some of these questions. It's just kind of stupid to do that. You know, the relationship that we have with God is very intimate. And He knew us from our mother's womb. And so... We need to be engaged in other people's lives. Amen. I'm going to just pause it right there. Let's all bow our heads. Starting to go long, I want to just reel it in. Father God, right now, I pray that the words that I have spoken today would be received in the, in the right spirit, in the spirit that they were intended. May this congregation of people love this generation. Put them in our hearts, God. Inspire us to pray for them, to love them, to mentor them, to encourage them, to reach to where they are to speak into their lives. May they be receptive to our voices and have ears to hear. I come against any condemnation spirit. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Father, I pray that you would just give us a love for this generation. And over these next few weeks, that you would just teach us how to not just spew out an answer, but how to actually communicate it in an effective way. I pray for every young person that's in this place today, that your love would be extended to them and that they would be more than just hear about it but that they would sense your love that they would feel your love right now right this moment let them feel your love let them know like they've known all of their life Lord let them know it in a way as if they've known all their life God that you love them deeply that you're that they're dear to you and Lord if there's anyone here that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior God I'm asking you to reach down and let the scales fall from their eyes this morning that they would see their need to give their life to you. Soften our hearts, God. According to the scriptures that we read today, give us a gentle disposition when we're dealing with this generation. Help them to feel the very real love that we have for them. And now, I'm going to ask you guys to agree with me in this part of this prayer. Now, Father, we bind together in a prayer of agreement. 
over the enemy that has warred for the minds and the hearts and the souls of this generation. We break the power of the enemy over them right now in Jesus' name and we call them heirs of salvation. We draw them in from the north, the south, the east, and the west. Father, our sons and our daughters and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren, we draw them in right now from the north, south, the east, and the west. Father, may they love you like they never thought they could love anyone. May they understand things that pertain to the kingdom of God. Lord, may the eyes of their understanding be enlightened. May they have the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you as you reveal yourself to them. And Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would give us the grace to let that happen. Lord, as you raise up leaders in this generation, Father, I pray that you would give us the grace to embrace them, to strengthen them, to uphold them, to lift them up, to get in their corner and to push them forward in you. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for the multitudes that are giving their life to you. I thank you for the multitudes that are yet to give their life to you. And I thank you, Lord, that it is not a generation where just 11% of them want to serve you. Lord, I thank you that it's a generation where 100% of them want to serve you. Lord, I thank you it's a generation of revival. It's a generation of power. It's a generation of passion. It's a generation of anointing. Father, I thank you for that, Lord. Our sons and our daughters, our seed will praise you, O God. Hallelujah. We give you praise for that, Lord. We give you praise. Not only will they praise you, but our seed will declare the works of the Lord. Our seed will pray powerful prayers that miracles will take place, that lives will be changed, that deliverance will happen, that, that, that there will be a supernatural revival in this generation, in this nation, in our community also. We decree it. We declare it. We stand in agreement. We pray. And we believe it in Jesus' name. We need a move, God. We need a move of God. And we make ourselves available for that movement in Jesus' name. Let's stand. Come on. All over this sanctuary. Let's stand. Thank you for listening to Dr. Jonathan Vorse on Working the Word. We appreciate your love and support. Visit www.jvorse.org to give a gift today. Don't forget to subscribe and enjoy the rest of your day. Always remember, the Word will work if you work the Word. Be blessed.